Well, uh, let's uh, turn to the people around you. Look at the people in front, uh, either side, behind. Give them a smile. If you you are uh, connected to them in a marriage way, you can squeeze their hand. We're going to pray for them. So keep them in your mind. Uh, Let's ask God to get a word. Loving God, we thank you and praise you for the people around us. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. Lord, we want you to bless them. Lord, we we pray that your word will speak deeply into their hearts today. Lord, whatever they've come with, whether they come with joy or whether they come with expectancy, whether they come with struggles, Lord, speak directly into them. Lord, we open ourselves up afresh and anew to you as well. We ask that you bless us and speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this time every year we start with a discipleship series called the ABCD of Discipleship. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you go, Barry, I've heard this all before. Uh, But some of you are brand new and this is your first time. So just show the other people how excited you are about hearing this when you speak to them over tea and coffee later on. How this happened was I was in a leadership course and uh, run by Craig Bailey at the Uniting College and, and we're talking about how birds follow each other in a swarm. It's not something that I'd thought about before. Not something I was particularly... Uh, interested in, uh, but they were saying that there's no leader in a bird's swarm as it flocks around. They just follow a set of three simple rules. They always make their way to the centre, they always follow the, the bird in front of them, and they do something else with their body. Man, I looked it up and I just go, should have jotted that sucker down, but I didn't. And as, as we were looking at that principle, the Lord spoke to me in my heart and said, what if there were uh, a, a set of basic principles that we could follow that can make us and spur us on in our discipleship? And as I prayed and I meditated and I sought the Lord for it, I came up with the ABCD of discipleship. It goes like this. Assume, A, assume that God wants to use you. B, believe God is bigger. C, cultivate intimacy with God and D, develop or disciple others around you. That's it. And as I, as I pondered on those, I thought, man, they're good. They could not have come from me. And, and, and as, I, as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? If we apply these four things into our lives, into our everyday DNA, we're just going to go stronger and stronger in our relationship with God and what God wants to do in us and through us. So today we're starting off with assuming that God wants to use us. It's a choice, it's an assumption. And I want to start with a theological principle that whenever God wants to do something significant in the world, he sends a person. Let me say that again. Whenever God wants to do something important, or significant in the world, he sends a person. When, when, when God wanted to care about the down and out, outcast and the sick and the lonely people in Calcutta, 
a sin, Mother Teresa. When he wanted to free the Israelites from the bondage that they had been in for 400 years, he sent a loser called Moses. He was down and out. He was washed up. And even when God spoke to him out of a bush, which would have been pretty freaky, even then he didn't want to do it. But God sent him. And he did amazing things in the power of God. And when God wanted to save the whole world from its sin, he sent his son. Perfect. Fully human. And fully divine. When God wants to change something in the world, when God wants to deliver something, when God wants to do something, God sends a person. And we never think it's us. You know, because we can see problems, we can see things, and, and we can even be stirred by things, but we never think that it could be us that God might want to use to do something. Because we know us. We know that all our faults and all our failures. We know our struggles. We know what we're really like and we think God can't use us and so we dismiss us. But maybe, just maybe, it could be us. Because God uh, really quite clearly says that you don't put a light under a bushel or under a bowl. You, you put it up on the stand for it all to see. He wants us as his people to be people of significance, the people who shine his light and his character into the world. He wants to use you and I. And if we assume that God doesn't want to use us for whatever reason, we miss out on all the things he wants to do through us. But if we assume that God does want to use us, then God can do anything. So Paul writes about this in a few little areas. First of all, he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. He wants to use you. Not just to be nice, but to build his kingdom. To make a difference in this world, to to change it somehow. He goes on in second book of Corinthians because he wanted to write it again in a different way just in case they weren't listening the first time because they're not as good as you and you get it the first time. But he thought that maybe the Corinthians might need to hear it again and he says, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us and we implore you on Christ's behalf be Not only does he want to use you, he wants to use you as a mouthpiece as well as God's ambassador with God's rights, with God's authority, with God's voice to go and make the kingdom of God grow and make a difference in this world. And if you just come to faith in a little while, you kind of do this in instinct. When we first come to faith, it's an instinctive thing. 
to kind of go, okay, God, uh, you're great, you're amazing, you're doing great things for me, and I'm just going to tell everyone I can possibly tell. I'm going to bring people along to church, I'm going to do whatever it is, and it's instinctive. But after a while, after a while, and if we've been in church for a while, we forget how much God wants to use you and I in our everyday lives. And, 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 and even we can get to the point where we can doubt whether God wants to use us. I was sitting on a plane going to Propel and, and our Propel conference last year and, and, I, was, and, and I just said to I said to, to God in a prayer, God, if you can use me on this flight, I'm really open to having a conversation of faith. Now, God doesn't normally get those prayers from me or anyone else taking a plane flight. But he got it from me this, uh, th- that afternoon. He said, God, I'd just love to have a conversation about faith. Love to be used by you in this way. And, uh, and of course, because I'm so tall, I always book an exit seat. Kelly liked to book one with me. She was next to me and the seat next to me was occupied. So unless I was going to share the gospel with my wife, which I've already done, and she shares it with me, which she's already done, then I thought, God, what's going on? I'm open. I'm ready. I want to be used. And then I glance over and the plane is full of ministers because we're all going to the conference together. And I spot a friend, and I can just tell that he's having the conversation that I prayed for. And, 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 and I'm going, okay, uh, uh, that's great. And, and as, I, as I'm looking at him for the hour and a half flight, he has not stopped talking to this woman. And she has not stopped talking to him. I'm going, God. I wanted that conversation. And then I thought, Barry, maybe your job is to pray. Maybe you're thinking too small that maybe your job is to start asking me to bless that conversation. And so in the middle of the flight between naps, because I nap a lot on flights, saying, Lord, use that conversation. And as I met him at the conference and as he started sharing, he said, I spent a whole hour and a half talking about God. He was just so hungry. He just wanted to know we'd swap numbers and, and, and we're going to email her. And he goes, not only that, I, I got out and I got into an Uber and the Uber driver was starting to talk to me about faith. And I started to have this, this never happens to me, Barry. I pray for it. I'm not bitter. We can doubt that he will. And sometimes we can, we can think that God's not doing it, but maybe, just maybe, we need to step into every moment saying, God, can you use me in this? And if it's not working out the way that we think it should, then say, God, how do you want me to use you? How do you want me to use you? How do you want... How do you want to use me? Because if we're followers of Jesus, we are signed up 
on the donkey to be followers of Jesus to build his kingdom here on earth. Not in this church, but in this community. Not just in this community, but the communities in which you and Seth You've signed up on the God of wine. As you said, Jesus, I, you are Lord of my life. You've signed up to build the kingdom of God. However God calls you to do it, and he calls us all differently. God recently has been taking me to a deeper uh, understanding of intercessory prayer. And, and, and I, I've been frustrated uh, and, and it's led me to that depth, frustrated that I've been praying for people and have not seen the breakthrough that I know that God wants to, to have happen. And as he's led me deeper, I've, I've been praying uh, with more authority and, 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 I, and I've discovered that sometimes the best thing I can do is to be praying for you more than visiting you. I'm not saying that's not important, but that that I'm praying for the spiritual blockages in your life and seeing God use you there. You see, when we come to the fact that God wants to use us, we we don't have to be holy, we don't have to be perfect, we don't have to have it all together, but we do have to have a heart for the for the kingdom of God and for those who are not worthy of it. And we never think that it's us, but God can use us in amazing and miraculous ways. So I want to touch on a scripture today which is different from the one that Ross read last week. And it's a story from the book of Acts and it just shows how no matter what the circumstance, no matter what, what you're going through, that, that if you're open, that God can use you. And it's from Acts chapter 16. It, I'm going to start it from 22. But just to fill you in the backstory, Paul and Silas are out doing a missionary work and there is uh, a, a lady that, that, uh, who is a slave who um, has a, a spirit within her that, that allows her to fortune tell. And, and she's going around behind them all the time saying, listen to these people. These are people who are from the most high, go- uh, uh, most high God. And you know what? If I thought I was going around, I thought that would be a pretty good demonstration. Here's someone who tells for- fortunes, who's telling them that they should listen to me. But Paul gets really annoyed. He, I've been nagged long enough. Stop this. And so he casts out the demon and her fortune-telling ability leaves. And the owner of this slave girl gets so upset, he whips the whole community up against them. And they bring Paul and Silas before the court to be punished for what they did. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, just not one or two, that's a beating, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, don't let them escape. And when, they received, when he received these orders, he placed them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks 
And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up. What's happening? And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the, the word of the Lord to him and to the others and he was changed. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds and immediately he, he and all his household was baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I love the, the fact that the one who was holding them captive, they bring freedom to. I, I just love that. I love that that Paul and Cyrus have every right to say, God, what the heck are you doing? You know, we're out doing our mission work. We're out doing what we, uh, this woman was annoying me. Sorry I cast them out, but why am I beaten to the inch of my life? And why have I ended up in the middle of a jail? They have every right to say this is too hard. They tried to be bold but they ended up being whipped, being bound, being beaten, being punished, and being burned. And I reckon there is some of you here this morning that you've tried to follow what God has for you, but you felt like you've ended up being whipped, being bound, being jailed, and being punished for you trying to do the right thing. just trying to follow what I thought God wanted for me, but it's all gone pear-shaped. But here we see a, a story of Paul and Silas that's saying, even though those things had happened, there was something in them that was different. And I think slightly because they dealt with the junk that was in their trunk, they dealt with the, the issues that, of their own personal life, so they didn't have to look inward, they could look outward. I think that they knew that God was for them and not against them. So even though they find themselves bound, find themselves bleeding and bruised, find themselves locked in the most secure part in the prison, they still knew that God was for them. I think maybe because they didn't concentrate on what was going wrong, but they concentrated on God and that God would see them through. They lent more into what God could do and less into their circumstances. They could have concentrated on the pain, the conflict, the 
stress, the hardships, the uncertainty, but instead they said to them, I, I don't know if they really said to them, but I imagine that they said something. If God has us here, God can use us. If God has us here, then God can use us. And that's why I believe that they didn't flee. When the doors flung open, they didn't run out and the the rest of the prisoners didn't run out because they said, if God is doing this, then God can use us somehow. Now, we've got a story earlier in Acts of Peter being having a similar experience but being led out by the angel but Paul is saying I didn't have an angel I don't have any direction so I'm staying here because this is where God wants me in the middle of the cell with with uh, my bruises and with and bleeding this is where God wants me and to assume that God wants to use us is that no matter what circumstances we have not looking on the excuses about why God is not doing what God is, but it's saying, if I am here, God can use me. And so he stays, and as he stays, he's able to proclaim the word of God, not just to the jailkeeper, but to his whole family. He saves a whole household because he assumes that God wants to use him. brings liberty, freedom to the one who had held him captive. And this is an attitude of discipleship. To assume that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we find ourselves, that because we have the Spirit of God inside of us, who raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit lives in us, we are to assume that God wants to do something to bring forward the kingdom of God in our lives. And so this morning, sure, you can make excuses about why God can't use you. Too old, too young, you don't have a job, you do have a job. You can make all kinds of excuses. I don't think you're going to beat Paul and Silas on your excuse making. I don't think you're going to outdo them. Whatever excuse you've got in your mind right now to say that you can't do what God wants to do through you, it's not what God wants for you. But to assume that God wants to use you means that every time you walk into a room, you say, God, how can you use me? Every time you step onto a plane, God, may I have a conversation? Every time you hit your knees and pray, God, who do you want me to pray for? Every time you walk into work, you're asking God, how do you want me to use me? Every time you're in a conversation, every time, how do you want to use me? When you're at work, God, how do you want to use me? When you're in trouble, God, how do you want to use me? When you're on vacation, man, I struggled with this last vacation. I just hid in my house for about three weeks. How do you want to use me? With my family, how do you want to use me? With those who hate me, how do you want to use me? With those who love me, who do you want to, how do you want to use me? 
We need to, to assume. We need to come with a mindset. Come with, a, with an attitude that we carry the very Spirit of God in us. And at all moments of our lives, to be ready. And it might be just a smile. It might be a gesture. It might be opening your home. It might be giving money. It might be making a meal. It might be an encouraging phone call. It might be coming up and putting your arm around someone who's grieving. It might be in the middle of your bruised, and your bloodied life, seeing God do something miraculous. But the discipleship principle here is that God is in you. God wants to use you. And no excuses will cut it. If you follow Jesus, you're signed up for it. never think it's us that God wants to use. We always think it's someone else. But man, He wants to use you. And I don't care how old, how young, how poor, how rich. I don't care how educated, how frustrated you may feel. I want to encourage you, surrender. Surrender to God and say, God, here I am. Use me. However it comes. And I can guarantee you this. He'll use you in ways that you don't expect. And you'll bless people beyond what you can believe. If you simply assume God to use you. Let's pray. God of love and light, thank you that you don't call us to be bystanders, but you call us to be your children, to learn your ways, to follow God come right now and, and Lord where we have been embittered in the past may your forgiveness flow where we have judged others in the past Lord may your forgiveness flow and may we step into the reality that you want to use us to bless this world and to further your kingdom so Lord heal the broken hearts Set the captives free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wondered how to finish this in song. And it struck me what a heavenly father is about is about he's he's about bringing us his children into the family business. That's how that's what we need to assume that he wants to use us. Because we are his children, then we have it within our spiritual DNA by him 
to become like you in character and in deed. And also, of course, as Kelly said, so often we want to say, Lord, here I am, send him. Or I'm too young. Or I'm not very good at speaking or whatever else. But, you know, the thing that enables us to know that we can be used by God, the spirit within us has said, actually, he's our father. We are his children. And that's what makes us able to become his child. Now let's stand together.